0: You can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. You can look the other way. What the fuck is that sound?
1: <laughs> Peter's chopping up onions. Peter. He's going to get real emotional on this episode. Peter. Check, check, yeah.
2: I need, I'm, cooking while, uh, I'm cooking while we're doing this episode. I don't know if you're being serious or
0: not.
1: <laughs> it could be true. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar a podcast about inexpensive, common and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your co-host Sean Hartman, professional podcaster. Oh,
0: yeah, that's yeah,
1: that checks out.
0: I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggle's Morel Mushroom Secret Spot Interrogation Technician. <laughs>
1: So you're not actually finding them yourself, you're just like interrogating and getting the info from others?
0: Yeah, it's a lot less work. And honestly, like, this is a phrase I go to when I'm, you know, mid-torment. I say, really, it torments me more not knowing where they are.
1: That's fair. (laughs) Well, thanks for the life hack, buddy. Do we have any other co-hosts in the building?
2: Yes, I am Peter Cook. And I am giving Lydia Davis a run for her money in the flash fiction genre. What you just heard me say is my latest short story.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for blessing us with that content. I hesitate to call it premium, but uh, it's content. Can't wait
0: to (laughs) Google that so I know what you mean.
2: I'm not saying that my uh, stories are superior to hers, but they're definitely shorter.
1: Well, it's got to count for something. Do you guys want to talk about a record, some music? That's why we came here, bud. Cool. Well, I brought a record if we want to listen to maybe the first track on it.
0: Let's listen to the first track on it.
1: Okay. If if you insist. Do you want to know what record it is? or I already
0: really know, but I'll pretend I don't know for a listener's sake. Okay. But no, Sean, what album is it? <laughs>
1: well jeremy and all of our wonderful listeners around the world this record is called house of sleeping beauties by lucia huang and we're just going to play side a track one part one right now this is uh tibet suite part one in the dream
0: This is way more far out than the stuff I heard.
2: I guess the stuff that I heard prior to this, because I found it difficult to find tracks for this online.
0: Same. Thanks, Sean.
2: <laughs> but the the other stuff I heard was a lot more, it sounded a lot more like familiar electronic music as we kind of knew it in the 90s. It sounded like a precursor to that. This was uh, a little more of a, journey into the
1: unknown yeah this is one of those rare episodes where we're getting a like honest first time reaction from both of you because yeah it's very hard to find much content from this record in the digital world there's a couple youtube videos you can find probably easiest through the discogs page for this but it's not on spotify and most of the tracks are not available and yeah you guys both heard some of her later 90s music which has some similar elements to this record but this one has a much stronger cinematic modern classical feel to it in my opinion
0: yeah i found it more challenging in a good way for me personally though her her music
1: after this was really enjoyable in a different way definitely
2: yeah this is 1985
1: 1985 indeed This is uh, Lucia's first album and came out on the private music label. It's one of the first releases on that label. Yeah, I can give you guys a little bit of info on Lucia if we want to just dive right into this bio real quick. Lay it on me. All right. Lucia Huang was born in Hawaii and raised in L.A. She comes from a very talented and prolific family of artists. Her grandmother was a grand dame of the Chinese opera. and You nervous, Sean? Grandmother,
0: You nervous? Huh?
1: I was trying to give you an opportunity to say something, but then you didn't, so then I had to keep going back in. Do you have any questions for me right now, Jeremy?
0: Yeah, what's a grand dame of the opera?
1: I don't know. I do know that I'm pronouncing it correctly, though, so okay. if anyone is curious what that title actually means, feel free to look it up, because I did not. One of the things I did not look up, Jeremy told me he was going to call me on it, and here we are. I also didn't look it up, though. I just planned on calling yeah. him out on it. It's not like you're better than me or anything. No. I also could not find anywhere what her grandmother's name uh, was. A lot of places kept citing that she was a grand dame, which I hope means <laughs> a lot. It seems like a notable title to uh, have been given. And to be, have that be, like, your only available bio, like, more so than your name, even, I assume it's a really important title.
2: Are you sure that what once someone, maybe when someone becomes a grand dame, they no longer possess a name? They're just a grand dame.
1: Oh. Ooh, it could be.
0: I like that. Mere conjecture. Let's say that's what it is. Yeah.
1: Okay. I saw in an interview, Lucia has a memory of, when she was 6 and starting to learn to play instruments her grandmother was listening to her sing and basically told her mm, that's that's not for you stick to instruments <laughs> which aside from that she was she did seem to be a very big influence and inspiration to her and um encouraged her to continue to you know gather knowledge and in- increase her skills and use that to open doors for her which is what seems to have happened. Her mother is also famous. Uh, she has a name that I could find. Her mother is actress and singer Lisa Liu, who's notable for acting in the films The Last Emperor, The Joy Luck Club, Crazy Rich Asians, and many more. And as a singer, her mother worked hard to popularize Chinese opera in America. Interesting. So that's Lucia's background, and she majored and graduated cum laude in ethno- musicology at UCLA where she studied from 1978 to 1982 and around this time she started working as a composer and actress in theater and film until this record right here 1985 her first release so the private music label had just been launched around this time she was one of the original artists on there and that label was founded by Tangerine Dream member Peter Bauman The label specialized in instrumental music that major labels would not support at the time. Some of her label mates include Suzanne Shani, David Van Tegum, Leo Kotke, and Yanni, everybody's favorite new age bad boy. You're forgetting a name, Sean.
0: Which one? In 1994, private music label put out a record by Kenny Rankin, Future featured
1: artist, and I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, so yeah.
2: foreshadowing for a future episode.
1: Love it. So she followed up this record two years later in 1987 with another solo album and also playing the pipa instrument on Ryuichi Sakamoto's Neo Geo album. Neo Geo? <laughs> yeah.
2: That was, that was a video game system.
1: Oh, right. I forgot about that. Did you have a Neo Geo?
2: No, the games alone were like $200 back in 1991. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure you can find a copy of the album for much cheaper than any of the games.
2: Yeah. I never knew that that was a thing outside of that system. Now I know.
1: Now you know. So after that, she focused primarily on theater and film until releasing the goddess trio in the late nineties, which is the music that you guys listen to more in preparation for this. And I got to say for an artist that, you know, started in the late seventies, early eighties, I really liked her late nineties albums. I feel like usually artists don't translate well during those decades, but the, yeah, those, those three albums are really good. You can find those on Spotify. Uh, especially like the, the second goddess trilogy albums, celestial realms,
2: yeah, are you either of you familiar with that '90s electronica group Orbital?
1: No, uh, more by name than anything else.
2: It some of it kind of reminded me of of their work. I have to wonder if they were influenced by her, though. You know, the, she. I think she would have come before they did.
0: Could be. I had a full on flashback when I was listening to the '90s work of hers. To I think it was right after college, and. Uh, Me and some friends decided to decided we really liked Enya, probably in that ironic hipster like, yeah, we love Enya, and then it just kind of became true that we actually loved Enya. (laughs) And I had this like memory flashback to me of putting like four different windows of Enya all playing at the same time, uh, perhaps with the use of various chemicals involved, and it just took me back
1: there listening to 90s Lucia. So Lucia Huang gave you a genuine acid flashback? Is that what I'm hearing? I can neither
0: confirm nor deny. (laughs)
1: Okay, the possibility is out there, though. So I actually bought this album at the very same estate sale that I bought the Lynn Larson Organ Stop Pizza record that we just did as a joke. As an April Fool's prank. And I I like the music on this much more than the Lynn Larson record for, for the record. But something that kind of jumped out at me from this, like I picked it up because I've been listening to a lot more new age and like smooth jazz styled things from this time period. And just trying to sift through the mountains of cheeseball crap to find things that are really good. And this one stuck out to me because it has those kind of trance-inducing, meditative, new-age sounds. But then it also has like a strong modern classical feel to it. It's, it seems apparent on a lot of the tracks in this album that the intent is not just to make you relax and zone out, but to actually challenge the listener in a lot of ways, which I think both of you guys picked up on from just that first clip.
2: Yeah, there was a point in there where a very abrasive instrument entered the mix. I don't know what it was. It was like a piercing horn. It, it reminded me of that uh, Consume Red album by the band Ground Zero. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that
1: record. Uh, No, not really. It has a
2: similar sound sampled throughout the track.
1: Sure. Yeah, that, that beginning is so cool because... Yeah, the first full, you know, minute or so of it is is very mellow and you kind of start to drift off and just when you're starting to drift off then those surprisingly abrasive, I believe it's saxophone and flute by the way, comes in. Okay. And then you start to get some more cinematic sounds on the synthesizer and it just keeps going from there. There's a lot of unexpected shifts on this record. It It rewards uh, close attention throughout the whole thing, especially this first track. Side A is basically all one track in various movements, and they all kind of blend together and flow really well. I love an album that pulls that off. Well, you guys want to hear another track? Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Cool. I need to because I, I can't have that much more input since I wasn't able to check this out in advance.
1: (laughs) <laughs> sure. Well, let's let's skip on down to part 5 of the Tibet suite. This track is called Everest at Sunrise. Definitely one of my favorite tracks on this record. I feel like that's a perfect example of the the fusion elements that Lucia was going for on this record. Um you can obviously hear a lot of the influence of Chinese and other Asian country music going on there, but then there's also a lot of modern sounds mixed in. And also you kind of forget that there's a synthesizer blending with these ancient traditional instruments. And it just, it works surprisingly well at times.
2: You know who I, what band I'm reminded of a little bit.
1: No. What's that? Ghost. The Japanese band Ghost.
2: The The Hypnotic World. I'm sorry, the Hypnotic Underworld album in particular. Some of the sounds on there.
1: Makes sense. Shout out to Drag City Records.
2: Masaki Bato.
1: Mm-hmm. Didn't you book Masaki Bato? I did. I was going to say that was one of the more fun shows I ever got to book in Kalamazoo.
2: Yeah. Great show.
1: So the other thing that was interesting to me about that track is after, you know, learning about her family background with this strong ties to the Chinese opera, it, I think it makes those tracks make a lot more sense. You can definitely hear that influence in what's going on there. It's a, it's a really cool effect. I think yeah a lot of people
0: blend genres but she picked some very uncommon genres to blend and it made a very unique mix
1: i would say definitely not to mention she basically majored in being able to blend genres with that ethnomusicology degree she spent a lot of time really studying all these different kinds of musical instruments and influences and tradition and was able to approach, you know, making this album and creating these fusions with a, a level of control and depth that I feel like not many other musicians could have pulled off as well as she did.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned that she has done a lot of work in film scoring as well.
1: Yeah, she's honestly done much more work in composing music for theater and film than she has in uh, album format. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff I have never had a chance to hear. Maybe some of our fans who are more into theater might be familiar with some of her other work. I know some of the stuff she was involved in as far as theater was fairly notable at different points, especially her work in the M. Butterfly production. Hmm.
0: I heard her work in The Last Emperor. She does the soundtrack for that movie, and it's very good. The movie and the soundtrack.
1: And her mom's in it, you said. Yep. Yep, they were both involved. Pretty great stuff. So I'm going to talk real quick about the musicians that are playing on here, as well as some of the instruments that are being utilized. So on vocals, we have Dora Orenstein who was a member of the Philip Glass Ensemble, and you'll be hearing that name quite often with some of these band members. Uh, Dora also played the violin on this record. The other vocalist is Patti Lapone, who worked primarily in theater and was close with Andrew Lloyd Webber and worked on a number of his projects. <laughs> and in more recent times, is also semi-notable for being the voice of Yellow Diamond in the Steven Universe series.
2: Oh, wow. Can, can, I tell yeah. you, can I tell you something really ridiculous about Andrew Lloyd Webber? Please do. I once had a a coworker who liked to quote Andrew Dice Clay to me, and I mixed. I thought that I got Andrew Dice Clay and Andrew Lloyd Webber mixed up in my head, and I was very confused about who this person was.
1: Oh no! <laughs> wow, <laughs> not quite the same thing. <laughs> You know, close,
2: but, you know.
1: <laughs> uh, one of them's just slightly more canceled than the other. <laughs> Unless Andrew Lloyd Webber's been up to some real vile shit that I'm not aware of. Who knows? <laughs> so anyway, so, I didn't mean to derail you. Anyway, on Synthesizer, we have Masayoshi Imamura, who doesn't seem to have a lot of other credits aside from this record. We also have Michael Reisman, who is Philip Glass Ensemble's director and keyboardist. And we also have Peter Raffleson, who's also notable for writing the hit song, Open Your Heart, for Madonna.
2: Ooh, there you go, Jeremy. I don't know that song
1: by name. Well, if, you, if you'd if you heard it, yes. Oh, duh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that one. Don't worry, I did the same exact thing. I was like, which song is that? Oh, yes. <laughs> this song. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad with song
0: names, too. I... Unless they repeat it at least 20 times in the song.
1: Which they definitely do in that song. (laughs) In this case. (laughs) So even then sometimes. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I couldn't tell you another line from that song. (laughs) Baby.
1: (laughs) True. There is that word in there too. (laughs) On saxophone and flute, we have Jack Cripple, also from the Philip Glass Ensemble. And then on ocarina, shakuhachi, zither. Kayagum reads Hichikiri percussion and arrangements. We have Yukio Suji, who is a Japanese composer and performer, also worked on the Neo Geo album, as mentioned before, and also continued to collaborate with Lucia on some of the 90s releases. My ignorant ass is gonna have to look up some of those instruments because I don't even know what those were. <laughs> well, guess what? The next section is me talking about some of those instruments. Yes. You were ready for people like me. I was ready for people like you and people like myself who knew nothing about any of them previous to this. So, <laughs> Lucia's first instrument that she performed on and learned is the pipa. That's spelled P-I-P-A. It's an ancient Chinese four-stringed plucked lute that has a pear shape. And the use of it dates back almost 2,000 years. It's one of the more notable folk instruments in Chinese musical culture. And then the Gayagum, which I think I kind of slightly mispronounced that before, but it's okay. That is a 12-string traditional Korean plucked zither. It's a very long instrument with a flat board and raised strings. It's played seated with one end resting on your lap and the other side resting on the ground. In the right hand plucks the strings, and the left hand controls the vibrato by pushing up and down on the strings on the other side of the bridge. Mm. It's a really interesting instrument. And the Hichikiri is a Japanese double reeded flute. It is a sacred instrument used in Shinto ceremonies, especially weddings, and was used for the imperial court music that was influenced by the Chinese Tang dynasty of the 7th century. Tong. Apparently... Tang? Okay. I looked that one up and some people were pronouncing it Tang, but anyway. <laughs> Apparently, at that point, the Japanese imperial court music was highly influenced by the Chinese music happening at the same point. So, it was an interesting connection of the kind of specifically using instruments that were already blending these different uh, Asian country influences together. I thought that was kind of an interesting touch and choice for this record. Well, You guys want to dive back into another track? Maybe something on side B?
0: Yeah, flip that over.
1: All right, we're going to flip it over. Side B, track one, Virgin Dance.
2: Really interesting at this point in 1985 it's a real blend of organic instrumentation and synthesizers but it's still I can tell it's very much you know the stuff that I was able to preview that was a lot more electronic from the 90s you could tell it's the same musician working with more organic instruments
1: yeah absolutely I think that the blend of styles is really cool like we mentioned but also just that blend of acoustic and electric instruments. This is like one of the best examples of it that I've honestly ever heard.
2: Yeah. It's fairly seamless sounding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting how well she pulled it off. So in mentioning the musicians on this record, I must also note that uh, Lucia is playing basically just about all the instruments mentioned as well. Um, The different musicians are, playing different parts, and I'm not entirely sure which parts are performed by her or just arranged by her, but she was very hands-on in leading the direction and playing all over this record and on her other releases as well.
2: And they do get more electronic as they go, right?
1: It it goes up and down. There's some tracks on here that are a little bit more upbeat and intense sounding and are very electronic with like heavier synthesizers and some drum beats. And then there's Parts that are a lot more mellow at times.
2: Well, I guess I I meant more in just her uh, trajectory throughout her career.
1: Oh yeah, the the later stuff does continue to get more electronic mm-hmm. and more uh, meditative, and definitely more new age sounding as she goes on.
2: Yeah, yeah. The to the point that there's a whole uh, on one of the albums. It's like a whole self-healing. What would you call that? A uh, it's like her voice, I think it's her, I assume it's her, yeah,
1: it's it's like a guided meditation that's the the third volume of the goddess trilogy, mystical visions,
2: yeah, yeah, that one eventually came on when I was listening to her stuff, and I was like whoa i'm in I'm somewhere else now,
1: exactly, <laughs> so speaking of the goddess trilogy, you can hear some selections from that on the playlist that I made for this week,
2: ooh, do tell us about
1: it.
0: Yeah, what else would go on this playlist? That's a strange...
1: Sure. I Yeah, I was a little bit challenged at first to figure out how I wanted to arrange this playlist, and then I kind of looked at it from a few different angles. So I put some tracks on there that complement the more cinematic, modern, classical feel. Uh, there's a Philip Glass track on there from the Koyaanisqatsi soundtrack. There's a Ryoichi Sakamoto track we mentioned. I also put a Steve Reich track on there, who's not quite a dollar bin artist, (laughs) but for that kind of music, you can find him cheaper than a lot of his contemporaries. So keep an eye out. You never know when some cool modern classical stuff is going to be sandwiched in between some much less valuable and older classical music. Terry
2: Riley, probably also. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: And then I also put a handful of her label mates from the private music label, Suzanne Chani, who we mentioned. Jerry Goodman and Leo Kotke are on here. And I put a handful of other more synthesizer-based New Age musicians. Emerald Webb is on there. Another artist named Suzanne Doucet, or Doucette, depending on which way she wants to pronounce it. I'm not sure. There's a Vangelis track on there and an Enya track at Jeremy's suggestion. Thank you. And I also put... Three, I'd buy that for a dollar, alumni artists, Stephen Halpern, Synergy, and Martin Denny. Ooh, all good choices. Yeah, and in, in going back to the Martin Denny thing, you know, we've been talking a lot about artists that are taking influence from some of these um, Eastern styles of music in different Asian countries and then kind of, I don't know, bastardizing it in some ways. Whereas this approach is, I think, fundamentally different and... Very interesting in that she's you know honoring her family tradition in a lot of this music that she's blending, but also looking to the future or at least the future as it seemed in 1985 and blending together these different influences and experiences that she has and I think the the result is wonderful I'm sold:
0: Oh, agreed as someone who takes Organic guitars and drums, and often thinks, "I'm going to put some synthesizer to this," and I got these like ideas in my head, and then I go to do it, and it sounds dumb." The ability to blend electronic and organic sounds
1: is not easy. That's like a true arranging talent. Agreed. We've mentioned Philip Glass a few times, definitely one of the most notable modern composers. He wrote the liner notes for this record and I'm just going to read his paragraph quote real quick if y'all don't mind.
2: Go right ahead. We've been I've been waiting to have Philip Glass speak on this show. <laughs> so in
1: 1985 Philip Glass wrote this about Lucia Huang and this record. He said, "I believe that today a young generation of composer has begun to appear." And the thing which distinguishes them from other composers and which is particularly impressive to me is that they represent in their person a dual tradition with these composers i think we have the possibility perhaps really for the first time of something quite new not a borrowing from one tradition but a real blending of eastern and western music There are among us now some who, because of their personal history, will be able to work in this new way and whose music will be heard. Lucia Huang is such a composer. She received training in classical Chinese music as well as in traditional Western classical music. That in itself, however, would not be enough to make her a composer, for that requires in addition to technique, a sense of style, musical grace, and above all, an individual voice. These, I believe, are all to be heard on this record. So does he like it then, or? It, it's, it reads like high praise to me, especially at the end when he wraps it all up. Yeah.
0: It was a joke, Sean.
1: I mean, the impression I get there is, yeah, like he's saying, like, this is not easy to do, and she's doing a really great job, guys. <laughs> Sean, I'll teach you what a joke is one day. <sighs> You're just too deadpan. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in education mode. <laughs> There's no stupid questions. I'm here to answer them all. Ah. Aw. <laughs>
2: If you just uh if you just raised your hand before uh speaking Jeremy, then he might have taken it differently. Mhm.
0: <laughs> There's rules. We're living in a society, bud. Okay, I'll click the raise hand button
1: on this uh <laughs> internet meeting thing
0: next time.
2: We do have that ability. See?
1: All right. Well, that's about all I had to say about Lucia Huang in the house of sleeping beauties. Do either of you have any final thoughts or more questions?
0: I'm pretty hung up on what a
1: great dame of the
0: opera is, but I'll let that you mean go. A grand dame? That grand dame. <laughs> a, a
2: great, a wow. great, a great dame of the opera.
1: Yeah. That's just a dog that for some reason snuck into the opera house. <laughs> I don't think I have any further questions. I'm really glad
2: that you brought this artist to both my and our listeners' attention.
0: Yeah, maybe make a rip and send it to us so we can actually hear the whole
1: album, Sean. All right, right, will do. Well, the next two copies I find out in the bins will be sent directly to your houses. Aww. There's a
2: good question. Where, where in a record store would you typically find this filed? Would it all depend on the store?
1: It would depend on the store. That's what's fun. About getting into new age music is you never know if a store is going to even have a new age section, or if they're going to toss it in the classical section, or if it's just going to be in rock and pop or jazz or maybe just a vague world music section. All those kind of uh, forgotten catch-all bins in the corner of the record store can have some of the coolest surprises and some of the the best uh, underappreciated gems. So. Dig in and find this and so much more.
2: There's a world waiting for
1: you. Exactly.
2: All right. Well, here's a reminder to our listeners that we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash I buy that podcast with different tiers that you can support us and receive bonus content in return. So go ahead and check that out, patreon.com slash I buy that podcast. What are we going to? leave the people with this week sean
1: well i'm going to give you guys a little bit of a choose your own adventure here do you want the final track which is a little more on the chill side or do you want the uh, i believe it would be called the penultimate track which is more upbeat with the the extra synthesizers and drums
2: penultimate i'm thinking penultimate too all
1: right here we go so this track is called Dragon Dance. Oh yeah. Thanks for listening. I was
2: actually able to preview this one because there's a cool video for it on YouTube.
1: There is a really good music video for this. I mean, it's it's good. It's also like very cheesy and goofy, but it's well worth looking up. So I think that Dragon Dance. I could
2: be wrong, but I believe this was the one that uh really gave me some orbital vibes. So yeah, thank you for listening to I'd buy that for a dollar. This is Peter Cook saying goodbye.
1: I'm Sean Hartman.
0: And I'm Jeremy Ruggles saying goodbye.
2: Sean says goodbye to